to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Revelation 22, starting with verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And the last time we covered the first part of the chapter, and the message title is in a form of a question, and it's, will you spend eternity here? Well, we see the end things. We see Things that are beyond comprehension. You know, if you've been with us, Revelation has been such an incredible book. It's a powerful book. And it's not like a religion where it just kind of tells you to go through the motions and do rites and rituals. Revelation, the word in the Greek apocalypsis, is the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ. So it's the last book in the Bible. Uh, Most Bible scholars believe it was written last, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And certainly, there's things in this book that could never have been predicted 1,900 years ago if it wasn't God directing. How do you get any of this stuff right? Do you realize that the United States, I think we're not even 300 years old yet. But we look at George Washington as an ancient person, you know, the horseback and the modes of transportation and communication. My goodness, the electronics and the satellites today, this this took a short period of time to unfold. So how does John predict 1900 years ago, technology, rise and fall of empires, political structures and all these things? It's literally impossible. Could you imagine trying to predict something 1900 years into the future with incredible accuracy but it's so important because at the end we have to realize that this is where we want to be in God's eternal creation now sometimes people in the world look at Christians and say oh you guys always have your head in the clouds you're just always thinking about what's going to happen in the future listen I love my life I I'm a beekeeper I'm actually working with some queen bees I'm making a third hive. It's, oh, it's so confusing. And they're so delicate, too. So, but I just love doing it. You know, I have my pets. I have my family. I have um, the church. And, and it's, you know, I'm not, I don't have a death wish. We don't have a death wish as Christians. But I think the word is prioritize. Because, you know, we all age, right? We're not going to live forever here. So we have to think about, and, and it's funny, people will plan for retirement. Have you planned for your eternal retirement, right? Where are you going to spend eternity? It's a foolish thing to think about earthly things that will take you maybe into your 80s and 90s if you live so long. But you're not thinking about eternity. Speaking of George Washington, he's been dead for um, a few centuries now. Where is he? I didn't know him personally, obviously. I'm not that old, right? Where's Caesar? Where's Genghis Khan? Where's Gandhi? Where are these people? Where'd they go? Well, wherever they are, they're going to be living a lot longer in that place 
than they did on the earth. You've got to consider this, folks. You've got to consider it. And you know what? Sometimes it, the few chances to get someone's attention about eternity, sadly, is at a funeral, a eulogy, a graveside service. And that's tragic. And for, you know, listen, I remember when I was in my teens and 20s, you don't think about it at all. But we're not guaranteed another day. So the positive part of this message is that there is an eternity. <laughs> and we're all going to spend eternity in one place or the other. So let me answer the question for you. So you feel more comfortable listening to the rest of it. Will you spend eternity here in this future kingdom? The answer is it depends on you. Which path are you on? Which path do you want to be on? Right? So listen, whatever it is, there's got to be a prioritization of our lives. Amen? So jumping in verse 12. So we saw the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the spectacular view of this new city, how the earth changes and how it's even more beautiful than it is now. But he, here are what I would say are parting words. And in, when it's written in red, it's in the, in the words of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And I was always taught early on in studying the Bible that when there's repetition and redundancy in the Bible, it's something we really, really need to pay attention to. So we're going to look at this in five parts. And the first is verse 12, rewards, rewards. I can't help it, but um, when I hear rewards, I think of those credit card commercials, you know, flight mileage and, you know, kick money back and a 1% of your purchases. Uh, but these rewards are so much better than the credit card companies. Anything we could get in this world. Verse 12, we covered, and again, if you weren't here, we covered the word quickly. And we went into the Greek language and we unfolded it and we looked at the lexicon and the semantic range. But you have three elements to when Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Number one, he's coming suddenly without warning. Two, he's, it'll rapidly unfold. It's going to happen very quickly as it, as it takes place, as the prophetic time clock starts to run out. And three, if you're not careful and you're sleeping spiritually... It'll solidify your path, whichever path that you're in. And for some, that could be tragic. So I look at it this way, and, and I don't know why. It, I, I would say it's a small minority of Bible teachers who try to frighten people with the Bible. I don't do that. I don't think that's God's plan either. But he does instill in us a sense of urgency. Because the Bible says that he wants us all in his kingdom. He wants us all to go, go to heaven. It says it right in the scripture. So sometimes you've got to shock the conscience a little bit to get people to wake up from their slumber. 
And we see that a lot in scripture, the slumber, the spiritual slumber. And his reward is with him. It's connected to him. Now, for us, we, you know, in America, it's almost like a bubble in this country. We do have religious freedoms. A lot of countries do not. They don't. A lot of the persecuted uh, church today is just for being a Christian can get you killed by the authorities or by extremist groups that the, that the authorities can't control. This happens in much of the world. So the way I look at this and these rewards is a few things, right? I see all of God's promises in the afterlife being fulfilled as rewards. Jesus told us that we would have tribulation in this world. So don't be surprised. Oh, I became a Christian. My life is insulated. Oh, that's not the way it works. You know, we will have tribulation. Jesus said, this is a fallen creation. He said, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we look forward to seeing that um, in in real time, in, in the fulfillment of that. Right. But his rewards are with him. Every relationship has rewards. Right? And these are his rewards, all the promises of God. I also see the Bema seat, uh, the judgment seat, 1 Corinthians 3, as rewards as well. Um, we, the things we do on this earth as believers, they don't get us saved. Religion teaches that. We get saved first. And then we desire to do things for the Lord. It's an outflowing of our heart and the Holy Spirit. But. 1 Corinthians 3, you know, God does test our works. There's this thing, and and I'm learning a lot about our culture. (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So there's this thing, and I forget what they call it, but uh, some in the young generation do it. Like, they'll do a good deed, and they'll walk an elderly person across the street. And the whole time, they have a selfie stick with a phone, you know, watching the whole thing and recording it, and they put it on social media. Well, if you think that's going to stand through eternity, that's going to get burned up. (laughs) Because how we do things here, Jesus says, don't let your left hand. Listen, sometimes it's going to be in public, but a selfie stick and a phone, I think that's pushing it a little bit. But God knows the heart. Is it genuine because you wanted to help that person or because you wanted to look good to your friend? And virtue signal, I'm learning a lot, right? (laughs) Virtue signaling, it's funny. Okay. Even the word work is interesting when we translate it. It can be translated uh, just a doing. What do we do? A deed. Or the sum total of how we lived our lives as Christians. That's very important. Again, salvation comes first. And if anyone did work for our salvation, it wasn't us. It was Christ on the cross. He did all the heavy lifting. But from that point, honestly, I wouldn't have done half the things that I do as a, not even a quarter, a tenth before I was a Christian, but God changed my life. I'm like, no, I want to do these things. I want to please my father. I want to spread um, joy and and hope and all those things, right? So we we evaluate our lives, right? As Christians, if we've been Christians 20 years and we don't really ever serve, we don't do anything, 10 years, whatever. You know, we live our lives for ourselves. There's there's a self-evaluation there, right? Now, if you've really trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But it's, it's a sad thing to live your life as a Christian and still have that selfishness. Jesus tells us to be other-centered. Two out of five is 
who is the reward backed by? Who is the reward backed by? So I took out my paper money. Don't attack me. It's only a $1 bill. It's not worth much. Actually, the way they're printing money now is probably worth about 22 cents. So, uh, <laughs> but I'm reading it and it has the backing. This, this is a piece of paper, right? I can write on it. I could burn it. I could rip it up. It's just a piece of paper. But if it has a larger, more zeros behind it, you probably don't want to do that. But it tells me that it's legal tender for all debts, public and private, and it's backed by the United States Treasury and the United States government. So what sets this piece of paper apart from the piece of paper I put my notes on is that the government will back any of these debts if I need to pay one, but I'm not going to be paying much with a dollar bill. The eternal rewards are backed by someone even greater. Amen? It's Jesus Christ. We could have problems in our country. We could have hyperinflation. And again, it's like the Weimar Republic. This isn't worth much. But the rewards that, that we are given in eternity are backed by an even greater. Someone that it's, it's not... Uh, predicated upon how much money you can print, if it's the gold standard, how strong the government is. This is God himself. Christ, verse 13, the alpha and the omega, understood as the beginning and the end, the first and the last, all denote eternality. I think one of the most powerful scriptures, and a lot of people don't quote it. They quote Psalm 22, which is excellent, Isaiah 53. If you go back in time, a few centuries before Jesus came to the earth, in Micah 5.2, This is one of the most powerful scriptures that speak about not only Christ coming in the flesh, this is amazing, but it also speaks about his eternality. People think today, and and even some in in churches, because they don't know enough of the scripture, that, well, Jesus um, existed in consciousness when he was the babe in the manger. No, no, no. He existed throughout time since the beginning. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, right? All three in one. But in Micah 5, 2, remember, centuries before Jesus came to the earth, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So there's a redundancy here from old, from everlasting. It really means from eternity. So for those that say, oh, Jesus was a created being, I don't know where they get that from. When you read the entire Bible, and there's hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah. That's just one of them. So this is the one who backs our eternal rewards. So we never have to worry about that. Never have to worry about that. Verse 14, blessed are those that do his commandments. Whether we're talking about works or doing or following, um, understand the order. And I I have to make this very clear because people can misread this um, if they just pick up the Bible for the first time. If we jump into Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it's very clear and it's redundant again. Not a lot of the Bible is redundant, but on this is soteriology. How do people get saved? Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You see, it, it goes back and forth, right? How we get saved, who did the saving, how they did the saving. That we don't do it through our own merit or works. 
But he did it. He did the work, and he showed us grace. So by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But people still teach you can work your way to heaven, not according to the scripture. So then some, they might look at James 20, uh, 2.20, faith without works is dead. If you understand the order, there's no, there's no confusion, right? Is that we're saved first, but what James is telling us is that works is the evidence that we're saved. Romans tells us that you don't get saved through works, you get saved by grace. James tells us the evidence that you're saved by grace is that you actually do something with your life, that you actually care about other people, that you can't look at somebody struggling and not somehow offer to help in some way, right? To see your brother or sister naked or destitute of food and say, oh, be warm and, it's also in James, be warm and fed and you just walk by when you have the means to help that person. Pretty fascinating stuff when you look at the scripture. But to do his commandments also takes on another meaning. And this is one-tenth of one percent of the Bible where something like this takes place. So in other words, do, blessed are those that do his commandments can also be translated, wash their robes and the inferences in the blood of the Lamb or Jesus Christ. So just for those of you that study the Bible, it's a, it's a very, very large multisyllabic uh, Greek word that I tried to get my head around and I just couldn't do it. So I'm going to reference the word. There's one or two uh, letters that can change the, the meaning. Again, this happens in probably less than a tenth of a percent of the time in the scripture. However, at the end of the day, they both mean the same thing. Jesus said, if you love me, you follow my words. But also, if we love him and, and we're saved by him, we've figuratively washed our robes in his blood. Not literally. And we see this through the scripture. So both really, when you, at the end of the day, when you come back to it, they both mean the same thing. Okay? So, grace, we're offered a free gift, and God wants to give all of us that gift. That's the best gift that we could have. Three out of five, the alternative, verse 15. So, and I have to explain this because I got a lot of dog lovers here, but outside are dogs. It doesn't mean that God doesn't like canines. If you would turn to the, if you can go and show the image that I loaded into the computer, aren't they cute? Those are my dogs. That's my couch, by the way. And they are able with their mouths and their paws to actually take the blood. Look at that. One's on the bottom, one's on the top. Are they incredibly comfortable divas or what? So I'm, your, I'm a pastor and I know what it says in the Bible, but he doesn't hate my dogs. And he doesn't want them outside of the, the city. So I figured I'd add a little levity to this. You have to understand the colloquialisms. Sometimes I have to tell them. Can I sit down on the couch? Can you two move out of the way? Go sit on the love seat. So, my goodness. Yeah, our dogs are spoiled. Okay, let's go back to the scripture. <laughs> but this would have been understood based on the era and the location in the Roman Empire. And we also see this in some areas today. I know people who've been on missions trips and said, yeah, there was 
they named different countries and they said, yeah, there's packs of dogs and they're scavengers and they're vicious and they have an alpha and you, you, you don't go and you don't pet these dogs because they'll attack you. Did you ever see the videos of the wild pigs <laughs> in, in, in the United States in some of these areas? There's like hundreds of feral pigs running around and they, they trample the farmer's fields and I'm really getting off the subject. <laughs> Understand the symbolism. Okay, it was very understood. Here's another thing. It's a funny thing. In, in, I know in this church, but in the United States, where we love dogs, we love our dogs. But have you ever heard somebody, a male or a female, and I've heard it, somebody says to insult them, you're a dog, right? Female, male means different things. So you can have this kind of, um, this kind of uh, enigma between saying something that's negative but also actually loving the thing that's not the symbol. So that's, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but this is important to me because I do a lot of apologetics from the pulpit on Sunday morning, and that is just for the people who don't know the word and just want to attack it. All they have to do is a little research, and they'll figure out it's not what they think it's saying. Okay, This was a metaphor for those with a destructive lifestyle who had no regard for God or other people. And they were going to resist God until the very end. Right? We covered uh, sorcerers, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, liars. Um, and there's a lot of lying going on in our culture, especially about the things of God. We're seeing more and more... And I know this from my tech people and people in uh, ministries that the cancel culture, if you say something about the Bible, simple things, Jesus is the only way, you're going to get fact-checked and some person who's not even a theologian is going to tell you why Jesus isn't the only way. And if you do that again, you're going to be in the timeout from Google, Facebook, YouTube. I'm waiting for my time to come. One of these days I'm going to jail. I'm going to big tech jail. But... Because they do that and they put you in big tech prison doesn't mean that they're right. Unfortunately, these people, if they don't repent, will face God and they'll be like, God will be like, see, I'm real. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But by then it'll be too late. And that's what the Bible is trying to express to us is that we have to change. We have to change. You know, now, what does this mean? And people, here's another mistake. So that means if I'm engaging in some of these things or one of these things, I'm not going to heaven. Remember, Moses murdered a man. The apostle Paul was complicit in murder before he got saved, but both turned their lives around after salvation, right? There's a difference between a lifestyle of sin and a practice of sin versus we sin because we do. But it doesn't define us. And I got to tell you, folks, this was the difference between my life in my teens and 20s. And, and I could back then complain and, and bl- you know, if I remember my life before I became a Christian, sometimes I, I would use God. If it was a near-death experience, I'd call out to him, then I'd ignore him. Or if something was going wrong in my life, I never prayed, right? But then I would... I'm amazed I got saved. Literally, I'm just telling you that I did this. I would just say to God, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? I didn't get it. I didn't know. I don't do that now, you know, but the difference is before I was saved, I planned sin. I had a lifestyle of sin. I enjoyed my sin. Now, when I sin, I feel bad. I feel I have to, you know, I, I'm not going to hell. 
but the, your whole mindset changes. So don't think that there's anybody in this world, no matter how much you look up to them, that doesn't sin. The difference is a willing um, lifestyle of sin. And there's some people who, who keep doing the same thing, but they're really trying to break that habit. You see the difference? There's a big difference. So there are some that they just continue to do these things and they just don't care. Right? They have no regard for God. There is no sin that can keep you out of heaven except, you ready for this one? Oh, I saw some heads pick, get picked up. The sin of continually resisting God's overtures of love, God's way of salvation, God's invitation to heaven, which many attribute to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Make sense? So it's been said, and I heard, I don't know who quoted this, but if, if you find yourself going to hell, that you literally have to step over Jesus and push him out of the way to get, like you want to go there. I believe that God gives everyone a chance at salvation one way or the other. I've heard some amazing testimonies. So outside the city, again, this is by choice. It didn't mean that in God's eternal kingdom, it was like one of these horror movies and there's all these zombies on the outside. It's not what it means. The people reading it in John's time and our time, while we're in this dispensation, it makes more sense to us. In, out. When you look at the parable of the ten virgins, right, that Jesus taught in the Gospels, five were foolish and five were wise. The wise ones make it into the banquet and the doors are closed because all the guests are in. The five foolish ones are outside and they can't get in. So you see this concept of gates and, um, you know, the, the celebration and, and, you know, it's, it's, the prophetic time clock runs out, the doors close, everybody who's in, who's in, everyone who is outside, it's too late. So that's why the Bible keeps saying, consider your ways, you know, think about this. Uh, God keeps, we're, we're right now in the age of grace. So you know what my advice is to somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Get saved now. Do it today. Right? You're here for a reason or you're watching for a reason. Verse 16, Jesus sent his angel to testify to these things in the churches. Now today, there's some awesome churches. There's some awesome churches in the area. But then there's also some churches that if you walked in, you wouldn't know it was a church. They talk about politics. They talk about secular humanism. They talk about globalism. But there's no Bible. And in some, they refuse to teach revelation out of, out of fear, out of not sure, out of bad learning in the theological, some type of, you know, theological uh, doctrine. But what Christ is saying is that, that the churches, Christians need to hear this stuff, right? It also kills the idea that some have that Jesus is an angel. How could Jesus be an angel when he's telling angels what to do? Jesus is God, the son. Testifying to the churches. So let me just say this again, and I've said this before. It can be both things. So some people say, well, Pastor Joe, you said that if somebody is left behind after Jesus comes for his church, that they can find the Bible, which they'll be everywhere. They'll be in churches. They'll be in people's homes. They'll be out in public. And they can read Revelation and get saved during the tribulation. Absolutely. Can unbelievers get saved by reading Revelation today? Absolutely. And that's just a, uh, an ancillary or um, a, a, 
you know, outcropping of the main point is that this book was written to the churches. So it is our job to understand Revelation and give that message of hope to the world. The fact that people will get saved just by reading of some scriptures without anybody to teach them is, is a wonderful thing, right? It's wonderful, but primarily it's for us, primarily. The root and the offspring of David, Jesus speaks about himself. Did you realize that in Luke 20, Jesus shares, I would say, an enigma or a riddle with the religious leaders? And he was great at doing this. The religious leaders just had a poor representation of, of understanding God, and, and some do today. And that's why people are turned off by God, not realizing it isn't God they're turned off by, but some of his representations or false representations. But in Luke 20, Jesus quotes David in the Psalms, centuries before Jesus came, Psalm 110 that David, by the Holy Spirit, is calling the Messiah Lord or God. However, he's calling someone Lord God, who he's the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of. So Jesus says to them, how could the Messiah be David's son when he pretty much refers to him as God? And they couldn't answer that question. <laughs> of course, we know now through the, the revealing, right? Um, Jesus had to come into the line of, of mankind to fix the sin issue. Uh, but David, through the Holy Spirit, was calling this person who would eventually come through his line, God. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful stuff. He said that he is the bright and the morning star. Numbers twenty four seventeen. many believe is a prophecy of the Messiah, which I believe as well. Revelation two twenty eight. So, you see in this, the root is the incarnation, but the star is the eternality, right? When you think about the things of God, you can't be stuck in a myopic interpretation. Some, sometimes you can, but you have to realize that God's word is so powerful that it, it happens in layers. So he can be the root. He can come as God in the flesh, but he also is the eternal one. The one that brings light, according to the book of Revelation, towards the end. See, when we trust in Christ, we're in good hands. We know that he will carry us safely and lovingly through eternity. So I just want to just reach out to anybody this morning that might be struggling in some way. You can trust God. You can trust God. You know, before I was saved, I went through tragedy without God. I don't know how I, well, I do know how I made it. And I did it through dysfunctional means that I don't do anymore. Um, but now I just, I'll go for a walk and I'll just cry out to him and say, Lord, you, you see what's going on, you know, but, and then it's almost like cathartic. It, it's, I give it to him. He knows he knew it before I was going to say it. He knew it was on my mind. He sees this, the situation and, uh, I have to trust him with the outcome. And it's a learning curve. I was, I taught, well, I was ministering to one person in particular at an addictions group on Friday, person who just got saved. And I love talking to new believers, you know, me and him were sitting on the couch and everybody was around. It was almost like the two of us were just kind of locked. Me and this, this young man, um, He's at an age right before I got saved, and I'm downloading my information into him. He had all these questions. It was so cool. And I said, bro, you're going to have a million questions, but you got to just be patient with God and, and 
just go through it step by step. That's why it's called a walk, right? You walk with the Lord. There's an emotional component. There's a physical component. There's also a spiritual component. So Friday night, um, I was actually late, but I was so happy that I made it there because it was just so enjoyable. Four out of five. What are you thirsting for in life? What are you thirsting for? It could be a million. Some of you might be really, really, literally thirsty right now, and you can't wait to go to the water fountain. But there, it, there's a bigger question in there, right? What do we thirst for in life? What do we desire? Verse 17. And let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take of the take the water of life freely. This reminds me of Isaiah 55. There are so many prophecies you would think, and I love witnessing to my Jewish friends. Because I'll go to that, and I'll read it, he, and, and they'll go, that sounds like Jesus. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. They know, they know enough culturally about Jesus that I'm reading stuff in the Old Testament, and they're like, how'd this get in here? I was never taught this. Yeah, these are Messianic scriptures. The Bible's filled with them. So in Isaiah 55, this is a prophecy of the Messiah, again, before he took the form of a man, before he came, the eternal Christ. Right? Offering everyone all to come to him with this water, indicative of the Holy Spirit, eternal life, right? And a relationship with God. Sometimes I feel like I have to counteract some of these um, teachings from pulpits that are almost like we have this special club. Only the people in this church. And we, you have to be approved by us. And everyone else, they can't come in. That's not... The message of the Bible. The message of the Bible, Isaiah 55, is he wants all to come. He says that a lot. Well, that guy on the corner, well, the drug dealer, well, the, yeah, he does. He wants to, he loves them. He wants them to come to him and let him do a work in their lives. There's nobody that God wants outside the kingdom, but it's choice. So you see the bride, the church, the bride, the church, believers collectively, ask Christ to come soon. But the spirit also asks to come. And you almost see a reflective and layered principle here. Because each one probably says it for a different reason. The church, we desire Christ to come, especially in this nutty world that we find ourselves in in 2021. We want the Lord's kingdom. We want him to come. But the spirit, I'm going to say is saying come, but he's also saying come as an invitation to the unsaved. Remember that parable of, the, of the, the man who throws this big wedding feast for his son who's getting married? What do you think that is? We covered the parables a few years ago. And he goes everywhere. He goes to the highways and byways. He goes to strangers. Wait a minute. In a wedding, your guests come. That's the beauty of the parables. Like you, you read a parable and you go, wait a minute, society's norms. No, no, no. That's not how a wedding feast works. But God's like, well, that's how my wedding feast works. I want everybody to come to the marriage of the collective believers and, and God, the son. So he goes out outside of the guests. He goes to strangers. He, the man goes everywhere he can to invite people to this feast. And some say, nah, I got better things to do picture of the world but you know what some do say you know what let me consider that i think i might make it to that wedding feast make it this morning right 
take the water of life freely. There will be a day when the door is shut, but right now the door is open and walk through that door. Don't wait until it's too late. Spiritually, we hear, we thirst, we desire. We can do that physically, but it's so much more important to do that spiritually. There are so many redundancies in this book because God wants us to be saved. You know, verse 18, last few verses. Sometimes I shed a tear when I finish a book. I get so like attached to it emotionally. Like, oh, we're done with Revelation. Pastor Paul, can we, can we prolong it for another Sunday? No, I think we've, that's it. There's only a few verses left. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Redundancy. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So five out of five is warnings in addition to promises. I say this a lot from the pulpit about adding to God's word or taking away. The cults are very good at this. They will add things that aren't there. They will remove things because it doesn't fit with their doctrinal statement. We have to follow the entire Bible. When you tamper with the scripture, you say, well, this is just revelation. Nope, I'm going to read to you some other scriptures. Tampering to make the Bible say what you want it to say. And that's dangerous. You notice how many times I say from the pulpit, this is my opinion. This is my conjecture, right? Because when I stand before God, I don't want to be guilty of tampering. So I'm very, very careful to say, well, this is what the scripture says. This is the way I think it'll play out. That's legitimate. I'm not going to say all of my ideas are scriptural because I could be wrong. I'm just trying to help you through this. So this is found in Proverbs 30, five through six, same warning. Ecclesiastes 3.14, Deuteronomy 4.2, Deuteronomy 12.32, in addition to other places. So what does this mean? I thought I was a good student of history, and then I read an article, very interesting, that talked about, in the time of American slavery, how the, they would give the slaves Bibles, but tear out pages that spoke about freedom and liberty, for obvious reasons. They didn't want them to get that in their head, but they wanted them to, to read the Bible. Those people right now are probably in a lot of trouble because you can't tear pages out of the Bible and say, this is the whole Bible, except for the parts I don't want you to read. So that's taking away, right? This is why people, you say, why are there so many different beliefs in Christianity? Because, because not every ministry studies the entire Bible. To add Concepts the Bible forbids, right? The Bible plus theories. Well, the Bible and Jesus, Jesus plus theories. Jesus is, is sufficient, but you have to go through our organization because, you know, you got a better chance of getting to heaven is if you go through our church and follow our rules and rituals. That's a Jesus plus theory, and that's dangerous. You're adding. You can't add to the work that Jesus did on the cross. I can't add. None of us can add. It's salvation. I read it. Grace. Um, you see some of these people who either try to bring us up to God's level. 
which is not in the scripture. Isn't that what got Satan in trouble? The, the idea that when you die, you could become a god and have your own planet and have your own little creation. Be careful with that one. We can be glorified saints, but we will never be on the level of God. So that is a dangerous doctrine. Or an, another false teaching that takes God the Son and brings him down to a mere man. Well, there's no deity in him. Or, and I hear them, they, they get all twisted in their th- doctrine. Well, there's Almighty God and there's a lesser God. And then I would say, oh, you have two gods. No, 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 we're not polytheists. Yeah, but you're telling me because they can't explain their doctrine. It doesn't make any sense. There's going to be a high price to pay for tampering with God's word. We'll see how it's, it plays out. Just don't be guilty of it. That's all. It's, it's not a hard thing to do. What's the main purpose in these last few verses of the book of Revelation? Will you spend eternity here? And again, the answer is it depends on you. It depends on you. You might have gone to a church where they said, well, it depends on us and you going through us. That's just not true. Depends on you. Are you ready? Are you watchful? Are you slumbering? Are you sleeping? Doesn't matter if you're very young or very old. This applies to everyone. In the age of grace, we are in will eventually run its course. And where will you be? Question is for you. Probably the most phenomenal part of this. Now, for those that, um, and again, I have to reach out to my, my people who were um, skeptical, agnostic. They're considering. They listen to the sermon. It's interesting. I'm considering it. Think about, if that's you, Revelation 17, 18, and 19, when I taught that, especially Revelation 19, my five-minute opening. When I talked about all the things that are going on in the world, I named organizations, I named things that are happening powerful the last year if you don't see revelation in the events that happened in last year you're not paying attention the world is moving towards this very aggressive globalist structure it's happening in minor things like the environment and things to that nature but it just keeps solidifying big corporations big tech they're all going global Uh, there's entities that are stationed in the united states there's powerful uh, billionaires who live in the United States, but they've completely eradicated any loyalty to their country. They're loyal to the globalist movement. This is going to become so powerful, folks, that this Antichrist, where people sometimes make fun of, and I say to them, well, what about if I told you that he's charismatic, he's a politician, he's a globalist, and he is going to solidify the global movement? Oh, it says that in the Bible? Not exactly in those words, but that's pretty... How do you think this guy rises to power? How do you think his, his foundation is set up? You can't, you can't go to any store or look at any movement without seeing a global wing to it. And again, I always said this, globalism is great when you're feeding the poor and trying to stop war, which they're not very good at. But it's not good when it comes to a global power structure because it fits and plays right into the hands of the prophecies that have already been written. Right? I've named names and used organizations, and I've told you to go to their websites, and and you read these powerful people, what their desire is for you and citizens of every country. Control. Will you spend eternity here? Will you accept the invitation that God has provided for us? The sad thing is that many will decline it. Don't let that be you. Come. Come. 
and take of the water of life freely because God offers it freely. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.